And now, from the dark corners of the internet, where exploits run wild, packets get sniffed, and the beer flows steady, it's Paul.com Security Weekly! Sponsored by Tenable Network Security. Tenable is a developer of enterprise vulnerability, compliance, and log management software, but most notably, the creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Tenable Security Center extends the power of Nessus through reporting, remediation workflow, IDS event correlation, and much more. Tenable, unified security monitor. <coughs> Core security technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Rock out with your sploit out. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool. Trustwave Spider Labs, providing advanced information security services to planet Earth. Visit them online at trustwave.com forward slash spider labs. And sponsored by NWN Corporation Star Team. Star security testing assessment and response. Proactive, cost-effective security solutions with a business focus. NWN Corporation Star Team provides vulnerability scanning, penetration testing, risk assessments, and regulatory compliance review services designed to fit any organization and any budget, helping your organizations go from good to great. Visit us at nwnstar.com or email us at star at nwnit.com. Now, fire up a packet capture. Pour yourself a beer and give the intern control of your botnet. Here's your host. He's a few no-op short of an exploit, is known at the kill bit at parties, and has viewed all of the porn on the internet. And boy, are his forearms tired. Paul Asadorian! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly. I am here with all of my good friends putting on a fabulous show for you this week as usual. To my left, Mr. Larry Pesci. Yeah, so Paul, does all the porn start and end with Goatsy? Well, see, the thing is when you when you get to the end, and then you go back to Wait. the beginning, and then it's like starting all over again. <laughs> so, so does the moniker stand true that the guy at the end is really hard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> So with us, we have John Strand from an undisclosed location inside or outside the U.S., I can't say. Welcome, John Strand. Hello, everyone. So, John, did you manage to keep your broom? Yeah, I think so, so far. They're going to let me keep it. And I have scotch, so all they need is firearms and uh, a cigar. fire extinguisher, and we'll probably be okay to stay here for a while. Nice. 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 Did you really find scotch? Yeah, they actually have a full bar downstairs because the Super Bowl's coming to wherever it is that I'm at. You know, hint, hint. Hint, So, yeah, they're rolling in full bars, so it's like a drunken orgy downstairs of old men. And you're missing the drunken orgy just to be on Paul.com. No, said it was like of old men. Oh. (laughs) Like I said, he's missing a drunken orgy he'd like to participate in. (laughs) I figured apples for apples. What the hell? Oh, speaking of lemon parties, Darren is here with us on the soundboard. (laughs) I don't. I don't know where to take that. Uh, one thing I will say, as Larry can tell you, because every every time I come, it. every time I leave work to come here, I think, well, when when Paul introduces me, what can I say? And then you throw something out like that, and 
I, it, I just forget. Yeah, see, I, your, your problem is you're actually preparing for the show, Darren. That's the key. Oh, I see. If anyone wants to drink. know the secret, no preparation. Yep. Need to drink H. more. And, and speaking <laughs> speaking of preparation, H. Darren's yep. face remained virgin. Yes. In oh, all ways, shapes, yes. and forms. This is a new, all new milestone for yes. all of us here on Paul.com. <laughs> Intern Darren went to a security conference. It did not pass out and have things written on his face. Golf clap. So, Golf clap, everyone. So lucky no facials for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. no, we didn't say that. Yeah, we didn't say no. Oh. Remember, I was rooming with Larry, so. There you go. We have uh, someone who I am excited to have back on the show here with us. Uh, those of you who have been listening for a while may remember Mr. Andy Lockhart. Welcome, Andy. Hey, everybody. Uh, greetings to the inner tubes. It's uh, great to be on the show. It's, what, been like a little over three years or something yeah, like yeah. that? A long For, yeah. Former co-host? Former yeah. co-host. Was, you were here yeah. for a while. It's good to yeah. have you back. Talking about, I don't know how much you can talk about. We actually didn't talk about yeah, what we're going yeah, to Yeah, I was talk actually about. thinking, so, yeah. I, I saw the little questions you had, and uh, I, I was thinking, okay, what can I talk about? Yeah, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable like that yeah. way. Yeah, like, you know? not like that, anyways. Yeah. So you are a senior security engineer for a large embedded device designer. Can I say that? Because I just did. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's in the bio. Yeah, okay, that's good. acceptable. Oh, so I can say what's in the bio. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all right. Well, thanks, Andy, for... No, I- <laughs> <laughs> so you do uh, security architecture reviews, protocol development and analysis, source code auditing, and reverse engineering. Yes. Yes. Um, all of that. Uh, basically... Uh, anything that has to deal with software security, yeah. I kind of have my thumb in uh, where I'm at. Cool. Um, I, I saw you have some stuff about a little bit about smart card stuff. I can touch on that a little bit, but that's okay. kind of not really my yeah. my area. And but uh, the only okay, so the only reason I put that in there is because I there was a smart card that I actually got to play around with a little bit uh, right. in my house. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I can talk a little bit about that stuff. Okay. But. The uh, yeah. So those of you may remember Andy as the author of O'Reilly Media's Network Security Hacks. My autograph copy is back away. And box. you did two editions of that. Yeah, yeah, yep. And that's oh, still a, that's still a great resource. Down. That's still a great resource for people. I, I think that's one of the things I enjoyed about the book is there are t- tricks in there that are just timeless. Like no matter when, they're not outdated. You can always use the tips and tricks in that book. Uh, it's like a fine wine. It's like a fine, it just gets better with age. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> So, um, I, I like I said, Andy, we didn't really talk about what we're going to talk about, so we'll just kind of jump right into it. Um, no preparation, you, right? No preparation H or anything <laughs> else like that. We will just uh, talk about security and embedded systems. How's that sound for a topic? Sounds great. Yeah. So, um, one of my questions for you, uh, knowing a little bit about what you do, was one of the things that I see as a problem on embedded systems is that um, they don't contain a lot of the same protections that full-scale large systems have, right? Like DEP, ASLR, and antivirus, for whatever that's worth. Oh, Um, true, yeah. What kind of protections do exist on embedded systems to prevent them from unauthorized access, code execution, things like that? Well, um, let let me step back to a more general sense here. And I kind of came into a situation where um, you have embedded systems vendors transitioning, say, from, um, you know, RTOSs to Linux. And... um, they kind of, you know, the, the initial, um, you know, products that, that they're doing this with often, you know, basically carry around with it the flat security model mm. that they're used to with the RTOS. So you have a lot so, of stuff. Andy, just, so what do you mean? Like RTOS is like real-time operating real-time system. Real-time operating yeah. system, yeah. So, but what was the one before that? 
what well, you just <laughs> mentioned, the RTOS. What does that stand for? Re- real-time operating system. Oh, okay. I got yeah. you. So, so, you know, like VX works. I've been QNX. drinking. I've been yeah, drinking. And you need to drink more. Yes. <laughs> um, but you'll you'll see, you know, as they're transitioning to Linux systems, they're running all the processes as root. And, um, yeah, sometimes, uh, well, before they're, they're used on, you know, the RTOSs might have a flat memory model, depending on the architecture being used. But, um, yeah, so to get into a little bit into more what you were uh, asking about, like, um, you know, DEP, ASLR, you, for instance, like PAX provides support for that mm-hmm. or GR security. Um, and there are, uh, there is some MIPS support for that, say for, that's one of the embedded platforms I deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you'll run into though is, um, you'll be provided a kernel from say the CPU manufacturer, uh, or whoever's making your boards for you. And, um, that kernel will be very tailored to a specific board or processor or whatever. So, um, you kind of have to deal with, uh, basically patching the kernel, mm-hmm. uh, take, you know, basically porting GR security or packs or what have you to the kernel to get that kind of stuff. But it, it's definitely possible. It's one thing that, uh, we're working on right now. Um, cause you, I kind of came in. I mean, to, you must run into huge headaches trying to patch a custom oh, yeah. <laughs> kernel for a custom board. Like, oh, I just tried this, right? There's a custom kernel for a custom board. And then yeah. you're like, well, I want to add this new security feature. And oh, by the way, I have to retrofit it into my specific oh, kernel. Oh, board. yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and that's it's, not like something you just kind of, yeah, that's not something you crank out in like an hour or so, right? Like, well, yeah, it's a, it's a big headache because you, you're dealing with a lot of uh, electrical engineer hardware people. And so yeah. the way the companies are, you know, it'll be segmented to where, you know, it, it, there's a lot of red tape to get this stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, the, the protections are certainly possible. Um, it's just, you know, out of the box, uh, they, they may not be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is it just really coming down to cost? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cost and selling security. You know, because they, uh, companies have operated for a while, you know, using, you know, an, an RTOS with, with pretty much no, uh, segmentation. Right. You know, as and far that's what as was, security goes. That's and, what I was getting confused before. So it, there were real time OSs that they used in, along before that. They've kind of evolved, but right, they're used yeah. to working with real time OSs that are a very flat security model. But more right, modern exactly. RTOSs are, have some of these features, but they're hard to retrofit in. Yeah, it's like some of the RTOSs are basically a binary blob yeah. with your application linked into it. Right. So, and those typically weren't so much like networked on the internet. Yeah, that that is. Yeah, that's usually the case. I mean, it, in that's in in that same vein. Yeah, these these um, you know RTOS based systems kind of in use before um, really didn't have you know uh, very featureful capabilities yeah you know now if you break into an embedded system that's running linux and Mm -hmm. hey let's just cross compile all my fun tools that i want to use and right right and now i have something sitting on somebody's network with uh you know nmap or socat relaying stuff out to me or whatever so yeah 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 like i noticed it in the the cable tv space uh televisions things like the roku like Mm -hmm. when i when i was growing up right like the tv was a tv 
and we had this yeah. big antenna on the roof, right? And then yeah. we got a VCR, and we had this nice, you know, VCR, and that was like the coolest thing. VHS, man, that was awesome. Dude, right? did your VHS VCR have a remote with a cord or yes, a cord? it did, it yes. did. Yes. And my dad used to actually sit there and watch a movie, and he would pause the recording when the commercial came on, and then restart the recording so we could go back and watch movies without commercials. <laughs> How analog is that? Yeah, I, now, I had a friend uh, when I was growing up. His VCR um, was the one that the remote used uh, sound. Is had an ultrasonic transmitter. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. That that reminds me of the TV that actually that my grandparents had when I was growing up was one of the first with a remote, and like the remote at the end was I don't know whether it was ultrasonic, but it used to have this metal mesh and it was like microwaves or some weird stuff like that. It was just insane. So, but now I I look at my entertainment system right, and I've got an Apple TV, yeah. I've got a Roku player. I've got a TiVo. Uh, let's see. If I had a Blu-ray player, that would plug into the network as well. And now even some televisions are plugging into the internet. So now I feel like all of these small embedded operating systems are suddenly exposed to the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the reasons. Um, yeah. The, the Where I'm at, we really didn't have a very large security team until I came on a couple years ago. Um and that was precisely why they decided to to basically start up a more full fledged team. Mm-hmm. Is you know the the devices we're making are starting to get connected to the internet. There's a lot of um, you know basically the whole core of the thing is connecting to other systems now. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, definitely the the attack surface has grown quite a bit, and right, it's like right, right. The, the, you know the in, embedded vendors are kind of getting into a space that's not quite as familiar to them. Yeah, it's out of there. It's almost like the SCADA systems. They're kind of out of their comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're seeing stuff that hasn't really been connected uh, to, you know, a giant array of devices or, you know, the internet before. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So, now, my TiVo device, it's kind of interesting. Um, I needed this, what they call the multi-stream card. Uh, uh-huh. And all I could think was like a multi-pass. I'm like, what? Multi-pass. multi-pass? <laughs> I have, I have multi-pass. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out when you know he was bringing in from the truck, I was trying to get a get a look at it, and I was like, oh, I, I can put that in. I know I know where it goes. And I'm like, let me so see that said. thing. And it's a smart card. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, it's just a smart card. So my cable, you know, connects to my TiVo, and the smart card just doing the decrypting of all the of all the stuff. So. Oh, so that that's uh, the new. I guess they've um, supplanted cable card with that or something. Yes, it's the new. It's like a cable card too. Oh, okay. And apparently, okay. what it lets me do is so there's one coax, you know, Cox cable connection. I, I use right. Cox for my cable. Yeah, it comes just, into my TiVo, right? And um, <laughs> it allows the TiVo with just one cable connection to have two streams. I think that's why they call it a multi-stream card. So it yeah. can be either recording two shows at once or recording a show and letting you watch TV. Okay, cool. That, I, I bet that might be using a DC, DTCP to transfer that to you, but I wouldn't be entirely sure. Yeah, I'll have to go. You can actually see some of the configuration inside mm-hmm. TiVo. You can like hunt through the menus. I was looking at it. You're I'll look for DTCP. Is that what you said? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm not sure if that would be something you'd see as an end user, but that's the protocol that they're using to transfer uh, video over FireWire before. Right, right. And and they've uh, they've since come out with DTCP/IP, mm-hmm. which is basically the same protocol over uh, 
IP, of course. Right, right. But yeah, that, that's that's commonly used uh, in um, like full, you know, uh, quality HD video streaming. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because it was it. a problem. They hadn't programmed it correctly, and I had to call them up, and she did some like magic thing on her end, and all of a sudden I had HBO. I was like, what? <laughs> wow, that was cool. that was cool. Yeah, we love nice. that. Yeah, I mean, my new uh, Verizon DVR box is you know sexy. It looks nice and. Uh, they're firing it up, and it was dual cable card support. And when you first turn it on, and all that type of stuff, it gives you all sorts of information on the display. Which I wanted to whip out my camera, but the the installer was right there, and I'm like, mm. yeah, the diagnostic displays can have some interesting stuff. Yeah, it most definitely did. Um, well, you know what's interesting is um, kind of going back to like the ATM talk. Uh, yeah. Where um, what was his name? Uh, Barnaby Jack. Yeah, Barnaby Jack. Thank you. He said. Well, I had to get my ATM service, and the service guy came out, and I just started asking him questions, mm-hmm. and he told me like everything. Like they have a few. I think the service people have filters for that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, so sometimes the uh, the guys will be fairly open with with stuff if you chat them up. Mm. Yep. So, um, do you think? Uh, what do you think about like getting a botnet on some of these embedded systems, Andy? Th- th- that's actually a, a valid concern. Um, we have uh, 15 million devices in the field, mm-hmm. so that's <laughs> nice. So, so that, that that is actually a real concern that we have. We want, yeah. Like I wonder what the cost motivator is for attackers. Like, what can you get if you break into my Roku or my TiVo? Um. Well, one interesting thing, and and, and this kind of um, is going to touch on this when we uh, talk about smart cards, mm-hmm. but but I'll I'll go ahead and mention it now is. Um, with the uh, free-to-air satellite, you know, receiver piracy kind of game going on. Yeah, I already um, did a talk on that. Yeah, what 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 you'll see now, uh, there's some boxes that actually um, receive crypto um, control words over the internet, mm-hmm. and, and what it is is somewhere out in, um, well, somewhere in North America, somebody has some hacked receivers that are running legitimate code on them, but also they're reading the control words out of memory, streaming them to a server in, say, Hong Kong, and then they're coming back over UDP to uh, to some of these... Um, that they're not necessarily free to air boxes because they're getting all this stuff over um, the internet. Well, they're they're free to air boxes, but th- there's there's kind of two things that happen though. Some you have uh, the emulate smart cards, mm-hmm. and then some do what I'm talking about. So instead of needing to emulate a smart card, they just get all the crypto material uh, delivered over the internet, and that lets them decrypt the channel. Yeah, I yeah, gotcha. yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, there there's legitimate. Uh, Service yeah. theft. I mean, there's service theft. Yeah, yeah, theft. yeah. There's legitimate things you could, uh, you know, as far as um, things that are desirable to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm if, wondering, like, if you compromised a box. The stuff I have in my house, which, you know, I use for my entertainment, for TV and stuff, like, is that all being connected to the internet now? Like, I'm wondering what what's going to come about that would really make it attractive for people to get into those systems. I mean, they are tied back to my credit card. Like, TiVo charges me money, but. This seems to be decoupled from the device itself. Someone tweeted that Andy was thinking of iHub. Um, that might be, yeah. Yeah, we'll okay. go with that. Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had one in my boss's office as far as the, Whoa, 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 whoa. The, the box. Oh, oh. It, it, you had the box in your book? Never the, mind. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Andy, Keep come it on. professional, you know, guys. Come on, Andy. You know me. Come on. Uh, boy, sorry. 
be quiet now. So yeah, like I'm wondering if someone breaks into my Roku, and I, you know, we've talked about some Roku stuff in the past. Like, what what could they get? I mean, if they could certainly get my credit card, I think it starts to become a more attractive target. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I've actually considered. Um, you know, I'm not sure what that would store in particular, but you know, um, as far as like iPhone apps or Android apps, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's there's a lot of financial apps coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and who, who's to say how it's actually storing passwords or any, anything like that well, in there. Wouldn't a Roku also be a great kind of pivot point to the rest of your home network though? Yeah, that too. Absolutely. Are you getting back to the app? Thing? <clears throat> and I think you're right. Apps certainly store data very insecurely. And we've got, uh, a story yeah. about that. You know, we've talked about that in the past too. How when people pick apart these applications, they're just wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're actually where I'm at. We're starting to deal with this problem because we want to make something available to third tar- party, uh, you know, application developers. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, the only way I see to deal with something like that is, and, and again, this isn't a perfect solution because you, I mean, I, I like to do a bit of reverse engineering. So you can always do that, but basically provide, uh, you know, a library to basically force their hand and, you know, keep that out of their code Mm -hmm. as far as how to handle passwords. Right, right, right. Um, The thing is, is you still have to go through their code Mm -hmm. to, 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 you know, as far as inputting it in. So, so they have that, but, you know, if you, if you provide something to where, Hey, we, we, you know, you want to uh, store the password, well, we're going to make sure you store it securely. Mm -hmm. Um, that really seems, you know, it's hard to balance the convenience versus making somebody enter something every time. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that that's um, something that seems like people want in a lot of cases. Mm. Luckily not for banking apps, it seems. Well, we've got a story about a mobile banking app that stores mm-hmm. passwords in clear text. Oh, lovely. lovely. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> nice? How, how, how timely. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, then, of course, there's a lot of the physical attacks uh, as well. Um, oh, yeah. that you have to be concerned about. And I think a lot of that's popular with the video game modding. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, like, there's a whole Wii, uh, Nintendo Wii development community. And oh, yeah, yeah. They're looking for vulnerabilities. I mean, and they're using vulnerabilities, what I assume is so that they can make copies of games and pass them around amongst their friends. Um, but there's, there's a lot of homebrew activity, too, with the Wii yeah. as well. Yeah, there was that presentation at DEF CON, was it last year? The guys created malware for the Wii. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it made like a botnet kind of out of the Wii. (laughs) Which I think is another thing that's in your entertainment system that is connected to the internet. Yeah, what would be kind of crazy thinking about it is the, you know, uh, the graphics hardware Mm. and those things. Turn turn it into a uh, distributed, like, GPU cluster. Yeah. (laughs) Someone was telling me about that. They did that with PS3s. Yeah, the PS3s had the the processors in there with like the cell four processor. cores. Yeah, there's the, the cell, cell processor yeah, yeah, yeah. with the SPEs and <clears throat> all the good parallel parallel goodness. Very cool. So, is there anything else that you're working on, Andy, that you wanted to uh, you wanted to talk about? Um, I'm I'm doing a lot of stuff with a uh, static source code and analysis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working with some commercial stuff as far as that goes um, and, and kind of writing custom code to plug into that. But I, the more I've been uh, working with that, uh, the more I'd like to 
probably start doing similar. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with LLVM, mm-hmm. but uh, it's uh, a very, very, it's, it's basically a compiler system. So they got it separated where they have front end, back end, uh, you know, segmented very nicely and there, you can do plugins for it. So that's, uh, something that I've been looking into, but haven't really gotten very far with do that. Do you finally yet. find, uh, more bugs or the same or less doing static source code analysis than analyzing stuff real time? Um, I, I, yeah, I actually, I'll, I'll use some automated tools, but, uh, I find that I, there's a lot of stuff that they don't catch. Yeah. Um, as far as bang for the buck, you know, um, time, time wise, uh, depends on the size of the code base. You know, if I can, uh, read through a project in like a couple weeks or a week or something like that, it's often, um, you know, it's, it basically comes down to how quick could you, could you look through all the code and kind of comprehend it versus how long would it take you to write a fuzzer for it or something right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there, there, there's always a trade-off there. Uh, every time I start a project, it's like, okay, which which is going to produce the most results the quickest, so. Very cool. Any, uh, you did the wireless IDS thing a while back. Any uh, cool wireless stuff you've been working on or... Uh, I haven't really been doing wireless stuff lately. I've kind of, uh, full on transitioned to basically, um, you know, traditional CTF type skills. So, uh, reverse engineering and shell code writing and source code analysis, stuff like that. So, so yeah, I (laughs) haven't done much with wireless in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, Andy, uh, I hope you can stick around and bat around some stories. Uh, yeah, sure. Like in the days of old. <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I just actually heard a really uh, interesting headline on um, is either Colorado Public Radio or NPR. But yeah, we can we can talk about that. Excellent. We're going to actually take a short break and come back with uh, our next. Uh, we have a technical segment, so we will be right back. Okay, we're back. <laughs> hey, Brad, are you there? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Brad, how's it going? Brad, going? I wanted to ask you before we started recording how to pronounce your last name, and I don't even want to attempt it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that's really it's a lame cop out, but I'm <laughs> I'm gonna have you do it. <laughs> no, totally cool, man. You could uh, you could always sneeze, but uh, it's Antonowitz. <laughs> Antonowitz. Bless you. Bless you. That's perfect, man. Bless you. If you can remember that, you're a winner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for being with us. Brad is the leader of Foundstone Network Vulnerability Assessment Penetration Services, where he focuses on internal, external web application device and wireless vulnerability assessments and penetration testing. Brad develops Foundstone's Ultimate Hacking Wireless class and is the contributing author to the sixth edition of Hacking Exposed Network Security Secrets and Solutions, as well as the second edition of Hacking Exposed Wireless. And the victim of a man crushed by Larry as of now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brad, you're here to talk about uh, proximity cards, RFID, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, totally, guys. Totally. I'm I'm super happy to be on this show. I got my Jameson all ready to roll. Nice. uh, Love to talk about it. 
Excellent. Um, so first and foremost, I'm I'm so shocked that you actually read all of that information. I I don't even know that I know what it means. We just have it kind of standard written somewhere, and I just copied and pasted it. So. The executive producer puts it in the show notes, and I read it. And sometimes he messes with me. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should have added some more fun things in there. Then you should. Gonna... Yes. Sometimes there are very interesting things, and I just read them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I I guess I, I guess we'll kind of talk about. Um, Ultimately, we're looking to talk about, I guess, this prox group uh, thing that I did. But uh, before that, I guess it's kind of important to understand about these proximity cards. I mean, you guys know what proximity cards are, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and pretty much everyone uses them, right? They're they're everywhere. They're uh, they're now in their their uh, credit cards on your credit card systems. Uh, where else on keys and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Um, all types of crazy stuff like that. So they're, they're just everywhere. And, um, and there's some of them that are implemented that have like crazy flaws in them. And certain people, for whatever reason, no one, uh, seems to care about it. So that's kind of strange. And it was, it's almost like, uh, I, I was watching one of your shows a couple, uh, weeks ago and you're saying, or, uh, you're saying about Telnet and how, why is that still around, you know? Um, and so this is kind of how I feel about this. Um, some of these proximity cards, especially the kind of first generation of the HID cards, like ProxCard 2s and whatnot, um, they have these, there, there's, there's no security in them whatsoever. And a while back, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, do you remember uh, Chris Pageant? He tried to give a talk when he was working for IO Active at, I think it was either DEF CON or Black Hat. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got in all types of problems, they pulled his talk. Yeah, this was, for, this was over HID, wasn't it? Yeah, it was over the, yeah, some of the HID, uh, proximity cards, actually. The yep. same ones that we're talking about today. I remember clear so, as day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. I guess what, what happened was HID got a little mad at them because he was going to tell everybody how their systems worked and they told, uh, IOActive to stop it and IOActive told Chris to stop it too. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, uh, it was kind of a bummer, right? Because he was going to break open this big can of worms. Well, if you fast forward a couple years until now, there's, there's now this whole problem where all of the tools and technology is out there to hack the heck out of these cards, but still no one's really taking advantage of it or doing anything crazy with it. And so that's kind of the, the purpose of this prox group thing. Um, what was happening was we had this guy on site, uh, Chris Silvers. He was doing a social engineering engagement. And a while ago I was looking at the proximity cards and I was thinking that you can probably brute force these things. And uh, Chris was on site. He was like, hey, man, you know, can you, can you help me out? Can you do anything with this? And so uh, he kind of kicked me in the butt, and I, I I wrote the you know five lines of code it was to do this, and uh, and uh, he wouldn't get a chance to try it on site, but I've I've tried that at a, at a client or two, and they, it did actually work, and things were kind of interesting. So what do you, um, so, what do you mean by by brute forcing? I guess you're going to explain yeah, so, that, but yeah. So this is the deal on the, on the tag, the only thing that's on there is just a number, mm. right? And that number ultimately indicates the holder. So, you know, uh, I'm Brad, I'm employee number one, cool, uh, that's what it says on my tag. When I walk up to the reader, I, I swipe the reader, I swipe my tag against the reader, the reader sends that tag number to the back-end database, the back-end database reads the tag number, says, uh, okay, cool, you're Brad, you're authorized to enter this door or this area, all right, door open, and then the door opens. And so the, the thing about these uh, these first gen cards, the Prox Card twos, um, and they're not actually the first gen, but they're 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 the the latest, very popular ones out, um, or the oldest, very popular ones out. Is that they have no encryption on them, so the the ID on that tag is actually just an ID number, and that's the big problem with it. So, I am I am familiar with such a system. 
Mm. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty horrible. Larry, Larry <laughs> may have one of those types of systems implanted in his hand. Yeah, Larry no? Larry built one of those systems for a capture the flag event that we did. Oh, awesome! That's that's pretty cool. And so, uh, what did, uh, what did you guys use it for? So it was. Uh, it I was used a- it to hack into the competition in like the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> right. So so we gave all the attendees uh, acrylic badges with uh, reprogrammable RFID tags, and of course, okay. the the. The brand and model is escaping me, but it was uh, set to emulate EN forty one X series cards. Yeah, and uh, created some uh, Arduino readers that basically read green light whether the tag matched or not. And uh, oh, cool! So my, my, my attack was badges. my attack was really lame though because Larry had this system set up where you could like reprogram your badges, and all I did was look in his command history, and that's how I figured out. How to <laughs> Get out of here, man! That's not lame. If that it works, not lame. <laughs> that is not lame. I, I, I cheated, but wait, I think that's what we call hacking. Right, right. And, and, and of course, the of course the the integrator for both the red team and red uh, red cell and blue cell. Uh, also had to be able to administer the system, and there was one tag number that was common to both systems, and that was oh, the okay. RFID implant that was in my hand. Which was public on the internet. Oh, okay. So was there a lot of weird people walking up to you and shaking your hands and trying to get you to feel for certain areas? Or? Uh, well, wait, no, that was at the hotel later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, surprisingly not, because you know, the, the blue teams were a lot of uh, college students. Oh, okay. So, you know, maybe... maybe uh, I would think maybe they would be more inclined. To... Uh, uh, maybe shake my hand and try to touch them in weird places. Um, <laughs> I think you but, were trying to touch them in But the, uh, the red team, I don't think, was quite prepared for it. Ah, okay. Well... That, Wait, which I mean, Brad, you know, I, and I think we run into that in a lot of places, is people are implementing these systems, and like you said, the information's out there, but no one's really doing anything right, with right. it. Right, right. Brad, for example, you know, we talk about not being prepared... We do, I, I do pen testing for, for my day job and, you know, we show up at a customer site and nine out of 10 times they've got a hid solution on, on their door, on their access controls. Mm-hmm. And I bring my Proxmark 3 and I clone someone's badge and I walk in. Yeah. The nine, well, you the, know, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but the, what's even crazier is that those systems, th- those H, that version of the, the HID cards, is actually, you know, uh, one of the first gens of it. And it's older. And there's newer ones that are out there that fix the problems. Uh, oh, there are. And See, in, you know, Brad, fact, the, some of the customers I walk into, they're like, I'm like, oh, so you use RFID, huh? They're like, you, you can't pen test that. We know it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's so you're going you're gonna to fix it? <laughs> no. no so, so which of the systems that fix the HID and the HID, it's HID plus, right? Yeah, so if you go, if you if you actually check out um, HID Global's site, yep. they have a whole bunch of different ones. They have these I class ones and yeah. Dollar class FlexSmart. There, there's there's a bunch of different ones out there, and the only one that really has the problems, to my knowledge, is the HID proximity one. So oh, the yeah. ones that are called pro, you know prox cards. I will also um, I will also state that the I class also has a problem. Okay, and I because I've successfully cloned I class cards. Using the Proxmark three in the default settings. Oh, so oh. <laughs> whoops! <laughs> whoops. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, uh, <laughs> they're not listening. It's okay. okay. We put a special well, code in. If if anyone from from Proxmark listens, it just it sounds like gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and so the you know the, the the big deal with these things is that you know there there is this firmware that's out there, and there is a Proxmark three. So if anybody's not familiar with the Proxmark three, it's basically uh, you know an RFID testing device that um, by default built into its firmware has a uh, capability to clone a variety of different cards and a variety of different tags. Mm-hmm. And because HID is using these, uh, especially the Prox card, is using uh, um, a, a text and that's, that is clonable, you can kind of emulate tags and you can mess with tags and you can play with the numbers that they create. And so that's essentially what Proxbrood is. And Proxbrood is that little tool there that um, all it is is a, is a little modification to it. And so um, I guess, Larry, you're familiar with the, uh, um, the standalone mode, right? Yes. And do you use a do you use a USB battery pack to power it? Yes, I do. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's what that's kind of the the common thing to do, and that's uh, pretty much the most effective, especially in social engineering engagement. So, but you um, in this system, you have to find someone's card who's valid and clone it. Okay, so yes, the the this is the deal with the current version of Proxbrew. Um The current version requires you to first clone the card. So the ID number that's on the card is actually um, uh, uh, broken into two major parts. Um, it's broken into a couple other ones, but the, the ones that we really care about are the facility code um, and the actual user code or the mm-hmm. user ID. And the facility code is unique to each facility that is being used, and uh, and the user ID is unique to the user. So if you're able to get the facility code, it's much easier to brute force and, and reliably brute force another user's card. Mm. So where that can come into handy is, say, um, you're able to clone one person's card, or maybe you went uh, you went there, you were able to social engineer um, yourself a, a general access badge card, you know, uh, and you want to now privilege escalate that cards, right. badges, and to get into, say, the data center or something mm. like that. So the current version does uh, does that. Um, there's all there's probably a pretty good um, uh, you know without saying too much there there probably is a a, a very easy way to um, to use some kind of intelligent brute forcing for prox brute to guess card numbers without even knowing the facility code mm. and so you can kind of do that because the cards are actually allocated in bulk right so when you order a card you don't order one card at a time you order a hundred cards at a time. And in some cases, the card numbers that are actually assigned to those um, can be guessed and can be, uh, um, you know, have certain, uh, rep- uh, you know, uh, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, guessable values. Um, so what you could do is, in, in that scenario, um, the, uh, and so basically, I, I, I've been kind of reluctant to release this version of Proxbrute. Um, I, I may end up doing it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but essentially, the, you know, uh, in the white paper that I wrote that goes along with this, we also describe a couple of different ways that you can do this um, if you are so cl- so inclined. Um, and basically, you can take guesses at what numbers could be valid valid uh, card numbers, um, and maybe very low numbers like uh, the equivalent of n- the number one or something like that, or something right in the middle and so forth. And uh, essentially, um, guess the values on site IDs. And it may take you five minutes, or it may take you ten minutes. Um, but it, it, that to me, that may be somewhat practical. I, I don't know. Maybe five minutes of standing and beeping is uh, is too much. Um, but if you pr- uh, find maybe a secluded door or something like that, that might be. So useful. I mean, this means you have hardware that can change the tag values rapidly. Like when yeah, I so did the attack in the change. in the exercise, like I I had a card that was writable. So basically, what it was, I, I looked to find the number that I knew would work to get me into the blue team room. 
that's when I looked at Larry's command history and I kind of just went back through and I'm like, oh, look, here's when he was running the commands to write the tags for the blue team. And I said, just rerun that command on my badge. And that's how I knew what number to write. So I hear you like it's you got to know where in the range you're going to fall. Right. Because I was going to resort, I was going to resort to guessing because I'm like you said, you buy cards a hundred at a time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, what if I just like, you know, subtract 20 from mine and maybe that lands me in the blue team area space to get in their area. Yeah. So, and, and uh, another thing is what, what also happens with this is, um, you don't actually have to write the card. So the prox brute, it can emulate the card itself. Mm-hmm. So as long as you, you, uh, I'm sorry, the proxmark three can emulate the card itself. So you can put it into a mode to essentially emulate it and then, um, you don't ever have to write a card or anything. So that, that makes it much So it just transmits. Yeah. yeah it, so it yeah. can transmit and pretend to be that card. Yeah. Right? It's gotcha. essentially a replay attack. I gotcha. Yeah. And so what's kind of fun is, is, you know, you're up, you're, you're up against the, the, the door and you, you're, you're playing, you know, go, entering the proxy mode or whatever on, on the firmware and replaying all these card values. And so every second or so, uh, you know, the, the, the reader's beeping. So you just hear beep, beep, beep. And then eventually you hear beep and then a door unlocks and you can open it in and walk in and it's nice. And um, no, so and it's, I'm it's, sure everyone's logging and alerting systems immediately respond when you do a brute force so on there. That's a great point. And so I, I was actually talking to a couple people about this and uh one person um you know said well well you know I don't I don't know how truthful this guy was but basically he said that they have it set up so that after five in, incorrect attempts um or you know failed card reads or whatever um they'll send a note and then after 10 they'll uh, actually disable uh, the, 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 um, the reader so that no one can enter the door after that. That's and so awesome. I don't know if anybody actually does that, but that sounds like a horrible idea. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I'd get there at six in the morning before employees <laughs> start showing up and then I just brute force their reader so that no one could get in. And then I'd socially engineer everyone standing outside the door waiting. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that could, <laughs> so what a great idea. That just would be like, Hey, um, I can't, can't get it. My car doesn't work either. I don't know what's going on, guys. <laughs> Can you get the yeah. security guard that recognizes you? Just open the door and then just walk in. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty it's it's pretty interesting stuff, man. I, I it, it's kind of fun to play around with it. Um, and so basically, the, if if uh, like Larry's familiar with the standalone mode, basically the way Proxbrute works is that um, the, you know the current version that's that's released has the um, it, you, so you read a tag um, and then instead of it entering, Larry, you might know what I'm talking about here. Instead of it entering slot two. Um, you know, what's going to happen is it's going to enter in that prox brute mode. Oh. And so, uh, you know, so you don't get to store two different slots. That's in, okay. Uh, data. That's okay. You only need one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair sure enough. Uh, but yeah. And then after, after you enter that, the, the lights will start flickering nice and, uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll have a good guess. Uh-huh. So in real, in a real scenario, in a couple of real world scenarios, we tried this out and, um, with a valid tag and, uh, generally speaking, it took under, um, under five minutes of beeping to get a, a tag. Most times it was, it was easily within a minute, but there were some tags, um, that, uh, and the strange thing is, I guess, you know, with certain, uh, organizations, if you're a large organization, you can have multiple site codes or facility codes. Um, so certain facility codes won't work. Um, so like we, we noticed that if there was a number of different badges with different facility codes, um, you know, one facility code might not get a lot of good hits, but another facility code may. Um, so, uh, so it's kind of, kind of brute forcing both areas of the, of the ID that's on the, on yeah, the now, card. Now, how large is the, then I'm going to use air quotes, key space for the facility code? Yeah, it's quite, uh, well, the, the key space is only, uh, eight bits. 
So that's not, or, or well, the entire key space would be uh, a total of um, two to the eight, or like uh, I think it's like sixty-eight million or something like that. So di- different tests, and keep in mind it takes about one second per try. So you're looking at you know quite a long time if you wanted to try to brute force the entire area. Gotcha. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, you wouldn't want to have to do that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, outside of that, um, there is, uh, but you can take, uh, you can, you know, like I said, you can kind of take other, other, um, ideas. So you can try to guess what valid card numbers are and test those valid card numbers across a large range of facility codes. So that might be beneficial from that aspect because if you can guess, um, you know, uh, a certain card value that could be useful there. Gotcha. Um, and then, so uh, obviously, uh, if you guys also, uh, if you're not, if you don't like the standalone mode, the one downside with the standalone mode is that you can't actually, um, you can't actually uh, easily find out the the ID value that you have unless you connect to the system, um, unless you have one of those nice fancy LEDs or you know LCDs. Uh, so you can't actually find what ID worked unless you connect to the system at a later time. So right. that kind of sucks. Um, but besides that, it's it's a it's pretty good and it and it works. Cool, very cool. Yeah, so yeah. your code your code is available in uh, what is the exact hardware? Yeah, so it's just the Proxmark three. You can okay. find it on Proxmark three dot org. Yep. Um, and the code uh, is you know it's like I said, it's just a couple of lines uh, and it's just titled Proxbrute. Um, and basically the way I did it was so people don't have to worry about, you know, compiling um, uh, the Proxmark 3 firmware from source and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you can just download this Proxbrute bundle um, off of foundstone.com and then uh, and flash your, your Proxmark 3 with that. Easy, easy thing to do to flash, flash the Proxmark? Yeah, man. It's like it's super easy. The, when, when you originally get it. Is it like um, jailbreaking my iPad? <laughs> I don't think it's that easy. There's no uh, pretty gooey uh, little things in that area. But you may ha- you may have to actually type with this. I yeah, gotcha. I think. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's not too bad. Um, if you just bought a Proxmark three, uh, sometimes you may actually have to update the um, uh, the I guess the bootloader on there mm-hmm. first, so it can support the the newest code. Yep. Um, but the the code that I used was the latest stable release, so that should be uh, okay. Should be easy for anybody who's up to date. Nice. How much is a Proxmark three? three yeah, man, that's the, that's the kind I of gotcha. sucky part. It's three hundred bucks. Closed Proxmark three, three ninety nine. But hey, man, you know, there's also uh, I can get a do... naked one for two twenty nine. Oh, I would naked. think that would be more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's there's actually uh, a number of homegrown products uh, projects out there too. So if you're if you're good with your hands and you like to do um, uh, do all the kind of hardware stuff, um, there's uh, easy ways to make these kind of cloners. Uh, for that requires a soldering iron, right? That requires a soldering iron and fingers. I gotcha. Because the intern likes to melt soldering irons. Yeah, and, we're and running I, short on them right now. We gotta like order to, some more. And I and we're we're about halfway through. Uh, Putting together a whole bunch of uh, chibi Arduinos, chibi. and which we're I putting together in our sleep, sleep now. <laughs> and uh, I've only burned my fingers once. Zero. Only takes once. <laughs> I just have ox- I just oxidized the crap out of my Radio Shack burners. Nice. Well, Brett, thank you very much for coming on the yeah. show and uh, sharing what you say. His research. last name. At you. How's that? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Brett uh, Pump. Brett. Breast pump. Breast, Breast pump. pump. <laughs> He's never coming back. You realize this now? 
It's like those assholes. <laughs> so, Brad, since you're since you'll probably never come back on the show, if you could stick around for the stories for discussion, we'd be more than happy to have you on. Uh, Antonowitz. That, that was awesome. That's a, that is amazing. Dude, that's awesome. That Two points. Excellent. Oh, man, I get more points for hitting old ladies in my car. <laughs> and with that, we'll take a short break and come back with the stories for this week. I'll play an oldie but goodie for you, Darren, to give you some more. We'll, we'll go way back in the... Become a twisted pair. <laughs> I, I'm waiting to hear the vows that Paul writes at the wedding. Here, honey, is my PGP key. <laughs> <laughs> FC6-47. <dash four>, <laughs> yes. Thank you to be a trusted pair. <laughs> <laughs> you may now sign each other's keys. <laughs> you should do that, Paul. You should have a key signing party at your wedding. <laughs> I'm sure that Shannon would love that. I bet she would. Right I now. think the guy said you're gonna have a lemon party at your wedding, Mason. What's that all about? Larry was Larry was just reminding me that uh, instead of my, a key sighting party, it was a key party, and everyone showed up naked. <laughs> Where was this party? <laughs> after. Oh damn it! The, after um, after. Twitchy, who for some reason I let attend my wedding. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, Nick. You're the man. <laughs> um. Nick, as our wedding gift for both of Shannon and I, gave us a thousand feet of Category Five in, in a greasy, dirty, a unwrapped like box. the dirtiest. Like it must have been. He said it was in like his garage, and there was dirt all over it. And that's what he put right on the wedding table <laughs> with all like <laughs> the nicely wrapped <laughs> gifts and stuff. There's just like dirty box of a thousand feet of Cat Five. I was like, "What's that? I'm like, that's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's cable." I was and, gonna say that's sweet. What did yeah. Shannon think of that? Shannon, I mean, she's Less very, she know. I mean, she married me, John, so she knows the shenanigans. So when we built the office here in the studio that everyone can see on camera now, yay, um, there's actually Nick's gifted Category 5 cable in the wall. Shit. <laughs> Nick has a spam port. He probably compromised the cable. Uh, can you believe that? He's probably got packet sniffers in the cable. Oh, we're so screwed. Yes. Wait, why is that tweet coming up for me? <laughs> so oh, the first boy. one here is uh, Larry needs to get a new tattoo. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. No, yes, you do. Did you see wait, the link wait, wait, to wait, story number one? Let me see. I did. I'll be the arbiter. Story number one. That is, Larry, I mean, paying homage to Defcon. That is cool. I like the smiley face with the the bones. I mean, uh, I like the Defcon logos and all that type of stuff, but I think you should do. I, I get a plan, man. I do it. I get a plan. Do, do it. it. Come well, on. you got to have some room I, on your butt cheek. <laughs> Come on. Quit no, being no, no, actually, actually, I don't. That's already spoken for. Oh. You've okay, got room somewhere. That's the, the mental image I've got. Your forehead does because... not have any tattoos, does Larry. Not. The does... DevCon logo would look awesome on your forehead. And neither does my schwanz. <laughs> but I'm still going to ask, what are you planning on putting on your ass? Uh, so I'm no, gonna do a, no, John, do you have to real, go there? No, really? No, we gotta know the answer. To no, we don't. I don't want to know anything I, about fi- Larry's finally, ass. Finally, John chimes in in the episode uh, with like the worst possible suggestion yeah, it, in the uh, whole episode. <laughs> Are you drinking, John? Scott? Yes, I've been drinking. What's that so, just making you want to pass out? <laughs> so to answer no, the question, a semi-traditional Japanese back piece. 
which goes below your back. No, I've been to that? Japan. Most people that have tattoos in that area are like hookers. So how are you get how are you getting that semi traditional? I'm a hooker. What are you in the yakuza? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I Not yet. Kill you. I'm gonna get the tattoo first. Then I'm gonna apply. And they're gonna totally. <laughs> they're gonna totally let me in. They have to. They have to. Huh? No, they have to. Now give me a samurai sword and an Uzi. I'm ready. Are you gonna get your uh, skin tanned <laughs> when you motorcycle? die? <laughs> you know, Andy, I, that's actually been uh, a subject of discussion with my wife and I. That uh, oh, yeah? I would love to get certain portions of me. Certain tanned. portions. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, um, as soon as you get that tattoo, you got to show us. Deal? Done. On camera for all of the On view. camera. With a, with a strategically placed wireless <laughs> router. <laughs> or I, I vote, the, the blur. I vote, I vote episode 250. Because we, we, we got to set dates or else you're just not going to get this stuff done. <laughs> what, what episode are we on out. now? This is uh, 229. 229. This is 229. Wow, yeah, 250 ain't going to happen. 300. 300. 300. Uh, Anyone else? 300. I, I have 300. 300 going once. Sold. Going yeah, once. 300. He'll do it going by 300. Sold. Said. Sold. Sold. He just, I'd love he to just do said it for 300. It. I'd love to do it for 300. It's just On the, the air, you have to be getting the tattoo on episode 300. That's oh, the deal. No, it's going to be finished before then. I got to show it on 300. Can we show the video of you getting it on Maybe. episode 300? Yes. Yes. We are doing well with the video. You're getting it done on episode 300, and we're going to show it. Right. You heard it here. Darren? Darren, you're the guy that's going to be recording the video. Well, I just turn the camera and just turn it on and I see, walk, away. walk away. Now, see, here's the deal. I have to have it complete. I'd say I have to have it complete by 300 and I'll take video and you can play the video of me getting it on 300 because yes. we're talking 60 to 100 hours worth of work and about 10 grand. Okay. Guess what? Gonna right edit- here, you've heard it first. <laughs> Episode 300 is 160 hours long. <laughs> we're going to take, Larry, we're gonna take 10 minutes of that and that's what we're going to end. your ass that much as me. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, so, how about those stories? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we did get off track there, didn't we? Oh man. Um. So those Capcom tattoos, you should no, get some. Core that and Core discovered a vulnerability in WebEx, and I really like this vulnerability mm. because for a lot of reasons. Surprise! One, it's got crappy meetings. Oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> one. Alex Horan wrote the blog post, um, and he's really sexy. I just want to throw it there. And he'll be on next week. And he'll be on next week's show. So, number two, it's really cool wait, because... Wait, wait. And even better, when you see him next week, because I likely won't, ask him what it felt like when I gave him his... Wow. Somebody's that was getting, not me. Somebody's getting... <laughs> John's in a hotel room. He's like... That Sorry about that, guys. That's, That's okay. okay, dude. It's a- okay. Ask Alex what it felt like when I gave him his skirt back. Ooh. Seriously. Darren um, knows what I mean. Yeah. So Alex had something. So Alex had something yeah. handed to him, and it wasn't a skirt. It was something that goes in the skirt, namely his ass, by his wife, because she found a box of stuff that Alex had brought from his old bachelor man's apartment and had stored Porn. in his house, which contained Valentine's Day cards from an ex-girlfriend. Oh no! Porn. Oh, I feel for you there because that very similar thing happened to me before. Uh, I was oh, no. actually before I was married, and, uh, and it, that's why they're in a jar right now. It can suck. <laughs> it can suck. But he relates it back to computer security because nice. WebEx, right? You attend a WebEx. Yep. WebEx downloads software to your desktop. Then you get busy. 
you know, life catches up with you and you don't go in and remove that software. Then someone like Core finds a vulnerability in said software and there's a lot of people with this vulnerable software because no one goes back Mm. through and cleans out their old junk like software on your computer or Or Valentine's Day, cars from ex-girlfriends. And you only have to send someone like a WebEx file and you can basically take advantage of a buffer overflow in the software and gain access to that person's workstation. Mm-hmm. So I awesome. like being able to incorporate this into my social engineering attacks. I think social engineering, someone to go on a WebEx is awesome. It's awesome. So so mental note, remove the pictures of the big-breasted ex-girlfriend from your wallet before your wife now, looks see, in your wallet. Yeah, here's how we know it's fantasy land. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that actually happened. <laughs> oh, boy. I have to side with him on this one. I I live there. Okay. I mean, it's not sharing is okay, but <laughs> never mind. I mean, next next news story. John, John, John save the show, John. All right, I was going to say, but couldn't you do this type of attack, um, something similar, social engineering, like maybe cloning the WebEx sites and doing a Java payload through the social engineering toolkit as well? I think we should yep. look into that as well, John. Yeah, you should. Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah, I think we should. Hey, do that. John, I need to go to WebEx now. Oh, oh, oh! oh. Uh, we had a story in here about but mobile mobile banking, um, and I thought multifunction printers were the only things that stored credentials in the clear text. Apparently, mobile banking apps do as well, including your username and password. And there is a post there. I want to say from Jack Mancino. Yes, Manino. Sorry, Jack Manino. Jack Manino. Yes. I can't pronounce anyone's name on this show. You no. Know, and if you go to that link, he has a, a really good link on reverse engineering Android applications. Yes. Um, that, that is just phenomenal. So if you guys want to get into taking a look at the code to actually pull out things like clear text, user IDs, and passwords, he gives you full step-by-step instructions on how to do that. Very cool. Nice. Uh, let's see. Nmap 5.5 has been released. Lots of new features. Uh, Nmap Woo! scripting engine got an overhaul. I really like their support of the DNS discovery protocol. I like being able to scan the network without really scanning the network. I like discovering things without sending packets to every host on the network. Mm-hmm. Uh, done it. The DNS, uh, dis- excuse me, discovery protocol, uh, does that. And there's NSE scripts for that, which I think is great. Um, also, you, uh, Fyodor is sexy, was my other note that I had in the story. And uh, Nmap, by the way, has pretty much always, as far as I can remember, cleanly compiled the first time on all of my Linux and other Unix systems, unlike some other open source projects. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Snort. <geez>. Snort. Snort. <laughs> yeah, I, so, I, I think I'm right there mad, with you, Paul. Mad props to Fyodor and, and the Nmap development team. Bless you. And there always seems to be a release at a major con when we're there and don't have the ability to... I, I don't want to pull down source code when I'm at a conference, No, quite honestly. Yeah. So I always have to wait until I get Ro- home to play with it. Ron I mean, Bose was there. What? He probably could have typed it for you. He probably could have. <laughs> he could have taken advantage of a command injection vulnerability in a text-to-speech application and read it to you. Right, exactly. Yes. Hold on, we have to pause. Larry has to select a beer. Did you see my, my tweet on that today, John? What's that? Which tweet was it? I just got into Twitter during the show. So I'm Big working coffee, on... Uh, cigars, porn, coffee, cigars, porn. Which one was it? I'm, I'm working on... Uh, uh, for a class, for my advanced NASA class, 
And uh, I tweaked a PHP script, uh, a really crappy one that I found. It was actually written in Portuguese. So not only am I converting some of the stuff to English, but uh, it's a text-to-speech application. But I found that it's vulnerable to command injection. So you put the two and two together, and you can make it generate you a WAV file that reads back to you the contents of Etsy password. Which is really exciting. Which is really kind of an interesting way to get information off of a system, um, but it, it's it's there nonetheless. Text is wow. Wait, now are you saying it's crappy because it's written in Portuguese, or no? It's written in PHP. Okay, good. Therefore, it's, it's crappy. Whew. And another thing, go to your tweets today. Coffee ice cubes and Dr Pepper. Yes. What? Yes, coffee ice cubes what? and Dr Pepper. Is Joel's doing coffee ice cubes? R O T X zero zero R O T. Slash root slash bin slash bash D A M O N X one one D A M O N slash Oscar slash someone's going to replay this recording and own your system. Yes, exactly. Like, oh, I know Paul's. I know Paul's In case you were ever wondering what the red contents of Etsy password sounded like, that's why we're here. Thank you for stopping it. But more to a more important point, Joyles has switched to coffee ice cubes. Yes, that is fucking awesome. Coffee ice cubes. Now I'm really uh, sad I didn't call in sick today. Like I had no idea to. that you could even do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. All you do is take coffee, there's put a, it in an ice cube tray, and put it in the freezer. Coffee ice cubes. It's really yeah, easy. A, a even local, you can do it. I mean, local place called Thanks. Seven Stars that does really good coffee that uses coffee ice cubes yes. for their iced coffee. But what I find is mixing coffee ice cubes and caffeinated soda is a win. Wow. I like that. Why don't you just freebase Coke? And- <laughs> I was scared. I was scared to do it at first. I was kind of like, well, maybe I should just do cocaine before the maybe, show. I was going to say, maybe. Or I could mix coffee, ice cubes, and caffeinated soda. Yeah. Win. I'm, a, I'm afraid this is going to lead to harder things. <laughs> exactly. It's just going to be a gateway. It's just going to be a gateway <laughs> to, to more methamphetamines, cocaine. <laughs> How did you get started? I started with ca- coffee, ice cubes, and caffeinated soda. Which <laughs> is my gateway to methamphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We got to get this back on track. We got to get this back on track. John, on save track. the show. Come on, hackers need to stay awake. John. God damn it! All right. So, so, right, so fish right. or not the fish, guys? Is that the question? Is, is that, that truly the question? Should so we do be? Here's the thing. The problem with penetration oh. fishing is that it does more harm than good for the organization. Really? Without the education piece following a fish, you set up the organization to ban the practice. That's what someone commented on an article that was released to the Colonel Orders Say wait. that again. So the quote was, the problem with penetration, uh, with pen testers fishing, is that it does more harm than good. Without education, following a fish, um, you set up the organization to ban the practice of, excuse me, pen testers doing phishing attacks. I think that's fine. Then you don't ever go back to that customer again. And eventually, that's, that's a problem that will eventually work itself out whenever they get attacked. Come right. back to you for incident response? Is that what you're saying? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 the question is, who does it hurt? Does it hurt us as a pen tester that we, that the, now that's next time we test, potentially that's off the table? Or does it hurt the customer that they're not doing the appropriate training? You don't have the ability to help them do the, the training. And now they're completely blind to any of these attacks. Well, stupid is as stupid does. I mean, these particular organizations that would do this would actually ban the practice, probably would do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just honestly think we should still push it through as an industry. Uh, Paul, Chris Nickerson, a bunch of us all got together and talked about it, and we as pen testers have got to start pushing our customers to start 
doing some of the right things, even if it does hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, I think we're kind of all in agreement as, as, uh, as Chris, uh, Gates says that if one zero day client side exploit causes you to lose the integrity of your entire network and your entire organization and it crumbles and falls to the ground, you should know this. And I think even more so, you should know how long it took to construct that attack, how it played out so that you can start to build back up your defenses against it. And I think that it's going to be different for every organization and a very valuable way to test. Now, if you're, if you're coming to me and, you know, and saying, I need a pen test and we're not doing any vulnerability scans and we're not doing any patch, you know, management, then I can see where you say, Hey, you know what? There's really no value in doing a client side fish because we know that you've got some work to do. And that's, that's one thing. But I think if you're coming to me and saying, well, you know, we're just not going to do this because we don't, we're not going to authorize this way of testing. That's really bad. I mean, that's you're in a world of heart, you know. Oh, yeah. So you you need to yeah, be doing some of the things. You need to be doing some of the things that are going to protect you from getting owned via a client side fish. You know. Right. If you don't, if you don't allow anybody to test for it, how do you know what impact that has on your organization? You, you don't. You don't. No, unless you say, yeah, no, we're vulnerable to that, and well, but then you don't ever get it in a report from the third party who's allegedly has the word of God. So now you don't have any power to fix it. Right. I think that's that's bad. I still, one of my big concerns on this, and this comment didn't hit on this at all, is I'm still completely convinced if you can convince somebody to click a link, you can take over that particular computer system. And I see very little in the industry right now trying to take care of that. I mean, sure, there's a lot of products that claim to take care of it, um, but very few of those products, and, and Larry, I'd like to get your impression on this too, but very few of those products have actually stopped us um, at, at LMG and some of the other things that I've been doing. So even with education, does it actually help? Because with enough social reconnaissance, basically, who your family, who your friends are, what your hobbies, I can get anybody to click a link. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And and that's one of the things that, that I absolutely love is doing that social reconnaissance. It only takes a little bit of information in one place for someone to use their corporate email address in a public forum for me to get so here's enough the thing, information though. to do a crafted attack. I don't want to turn into you know the value of pen testing thing because no, we've, yeah, no, we've no, been no. there a lot, right? No, no, no. But it, it, while you can, yes, very successfully fish your organization most of the time, what it should tell you is can you detect that attack? How long can you be in an organization before you're detected? You know? And that's a huge... There's some echo on the line. It's really... Yeah, it's on, the, it's on the phone bridge. John? I just muted myself because I think I might be the source of the echo. So please continue Stop talking. echoing. So anyway, yeah. I mean, length of time I think is important. It's going to differ right. that length of time for any organization. Right. But length of time and can you even detect it at all? Right. If you hire me for a six-month engagement or whatever and you say, you know what? Get in and stay in. I yep. like I like Joe McRae and, and Chris Gates' approach to that. Hire me for six months. Get in. Stay in. See yep. if we detect. If it goes through that whole six months, and you have no idea how I got in, what I did, yep. or that bad, you're even there, or that I'm even there at all. Yep. No, Whereas nothing to if you're catching you. me within 24 hours, I think there's a huge difference for yeah, that. Yeah. I think now, it's all about, and I'm going to go back to Richard Baitlick, uh-huh. is making it more expensive, time and money for attackers to get into your organization. Right. If it's very inexpensive, that means attackers are going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't cost them a lot of money to get in, stay in, do damage, steal money, 
mess up the network like Nickerson was saying and his talk at Brucon, mm-hmm. like wreak havoc, then that's bad. You need to build the wall up um, right. higher. Right. No. So here, here's my sort of take on that. You know, typical pen test engagement, a week, two weeks. Yeah. You've kind of got to go in hot and heavy with those type of attacks. And you're, you're sort of carpet bombing email-wise and, and those types of things, Shut doing these types of attack. You're really, at a, a, as an attacker, as a pen tester, you're a little bit of as a disadvantage as opposed to the attack me, see how long you can stay in here, six months. If, well, I, can, if I can take six months to do my test as opposed to two weeks, I think I'll have a much better success rate given that the go in the low and slow approach. Right. Because when typically... When I go in with the sort of the carpet bomb approach, you've got two days to you know, do your social engineering stuff. You've got two days to deliver a bunch of stuff to a bunch of different groups. Typically, folks go, hey, this doesn't seem right mm. because just the quantity is bad. Mm. Uh, that That's I mean, one of the or things Or you that bank I everything on one particular scenario. Oh, yeah, no, no, we don't do yeah. that. <laughs> and then, like, if that scenario fails, then you're at your two days when you could probably take... Yeah. After that two days, much less time to create different scenarios. You know yep. what I mean. So that that could be a difficult situation. But a lot of times, if I'm if you're if you do have a short period of time, and I say this for people who are doing pen tests externally, internally, and people who are customers of people doing pen tests, yeah. don't be afraid. And it's harder to sell to management. I understand that, mm-hmm. but don't be afraid to shortcut the process a little and be like, you know what, we're going to give our pen testers. Okay, you got access to the system. Yeah. Fine. Tell us what you can do from there. Yeah. That's harder to sell because you're going to go to management and say, well, you know, we gave them access to this system because we wanted to see what happened. If someone did spend six months trying to get into us, what would happen? I, and, and I understand that's – I can see that going to upper management being a little harder to sell. And it needs to be some little education right, to tell right. them about, well, look, you know, we're, you know, people are going to spend six months trying to get into us. Mm-hmm. And you need to make your management understand that we've got hundreds of millions of dollars worth of assets. Well within the reach for attackers to specifically target us right. and spend six months trying to get into us. We want to know once someone does, because you can't stop everyone from getting into your organization. There's someone just found there's like 50 million different pieces of malware out there. Malware has zero day exploits. Like someone's going to get input malware on your systems. Okay, so once someone does, how resilient are we that, that's, to their attacks that's why, on the inside? How that's can why. we detect them once they get in? How can we detect if data is being exfiltrated mm-hmm. out? That kind of thing. That's why I'm a huge proponent of the internal pen test. Yeah. It's you, you sort of go along the lines inside of, out, right? Right, yeah. You, you go along the lines of, yeah, great. We've done a great job of securing, and I'm using air quotes here for the folks on the video, air quotes of the perimeter. We do a pretty good job of that, but it's only a matter of time before someone gets in somehow. Mm. You know, it, plan for the fact that it is going to happen. Test well, see, what they can find when they get in. All of this is going to be completely irrelevant, Larry. Do you know why? Because oh, no. there's not going to be enough IP addresses for everyone pretty soon. Sure, oh, there'll be plenty. Nice segue. No. And, uh, wait, uh, huh? wait, couldn't we just use numbers... And letters and get more IP addresses. John, I like the way you think. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could like IP address every oh. molecule in the universe? I like Johannes's write up. Um, I really want, actually want to take his course because I, I, I liked his write up uh, that we linked to in the show notes because um, he talks about you know the people that say well. You gave Apple a slash eight, and they're not using the whole thing. And you give all these oh universities God. slash eights, and they're not using them. Why don't you just take them back? Okay, you know, let's, you th- let's you go through something here. You, I work and for, you, and you think about some of these other places. And you know, Kevin, my boss at NWN, 
put a post like Dude. where are all these co- companies that are doing all the stuff that do they really need slash eights so here's Seriously. the thing even if we reclaimed all of the slash eights yep we would still be out of ip addresses in a couple of years doesn't solve the problem no it doesn't also i've personally participated in projects that have reclaimed IP address space and re-IP address things, mm-hmm. it's extremely labor-intensive and extremely costly. So to make an organization go through all that work just to give back space that, you know what, we're just going to burn through anyway because there's like 4 billion IP4 addresses and like 6 billion people in the world or 6 billion IP addresses and 8 billion people in the world or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to run out. Like, think about how many IP addresses you personally can consume. Like, I have one for my house, okay, I share it with my family, but I also have an air card for my laptop, yeah. and I also have an iPhone, and so conceivably, I could be consuming three IP addresses mm-hmm. in any given time. And now your wife has an iPhone. And then my wife has an iPhone, so then that's another IP mm-hmm. address, so we're going to run out. And, and Braden sometimes TCP IPs. He does, in his pants, yes. Boy, this... Uh, one guy, it's funny to read the comments. One of the guys was like, he's funny, but I hate seeing this news story every six months. And basically went on about how this is just kind of a non-issue. And I, I don't know. Yeah, it's been in the news for quite a while. But I think now, with the fact that we finally, quote-unquote, ran out of the open allocations, that we really do need to start thinking about this right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's start thinking about two years ago. So right for us. If you do pen testing, you need to know how to do this. Because it's a great covert channel. Many security products don't look into it very well. Mm-hmm. It's just a great place to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to be honest. I was kind of in the camp of, really, do we have to start worrying about this now? Reading Johannes's post, I'm kind of like, you know what? And I think that his one-day IPv6 course is um, this is something that's on my list I want to take this year. Yeah, I mean, IPv6, IPv6 is just one of those, oh, my God, I'm scared type of things. Yeah. Yeah, embrace it, people. So many embrace letters it. and numbers. I know it sucks. I um, wait. I speak, called speak, my ISP to see if I could get IPv6, yep. and they're like, "No, sorry, we don't support IPv6." And it was freaking Quest. You think wow. they'd be able to? Get yeah, IPv6. that's. I think I think that's the other thing too. There's a lot of commercial opportunity for people to say, "We do IPv6. Come here, and yeah. you don't have to Speaking worry." Speaking of it. which, Paul.com.com. IPv6. I think it does. I think it does IPv6. It though. does. Bite, bite, read bite packets email. See the guy behind the guy who's usually Mike Perez. Mike Perez. He's the only nice guy on the show. Right. We, we don't even read Mike's email, so we obviously aren't going to read uh, bite packets emails. I read bite packets emails. <laughs> we have all the nobody reads Mike's emails. No, yeah, no one does. I just don't accept the meeting requests. That's all. No, we. I don't even read them. Like, what are we doing tonight? Oh, if you read Mike's email, Larry, you have a couple stories in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and a couple at that. Wait, wait, where are you going? He doesn't like your. He likes your story so well. He's gonna go urinate outside. Fucking hold it. Jesus. I mean. Uh, man, shows yours. So yeah. You so uh, so we're gonna. Did leave Paul leave his laptop unlocked? Oh, that would be awesome, did he? Please tell me. I can't see from here. And he did. He did. I should so, read something. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah. 
No, no, don't tweet something. Post something in the IRC chat room. So while uh, Darren, the intern, is uh, sending something to the IRC chat room from Paul's laptop, um, Cisco Root. <laughs> yeah, that, you, you got to love this one. So Seriously, do they have anybody over there checking anything? Uh, so I heard some, some rumors that basically the group that does Tanberg is basically... Um, you, the part of Cisco, if you think about it, it's like a startup within a big company that, you know, security is an afterthought, right? And, and you, you, it's hard to bolt on security after the fact and, and dealing with this stuff. And, and John, think about startup mentality for some of these types of products. I can understand like, uh, uh, like a heap overflow. Even a basic stack overflow, I can still understand. But forgetting to put a freaking password on the root account? I mean, really? Well, no, they didn't and forget. Well, no. that it was yeah, intentional. It was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, yeah, this one, the, uh, a whole bunch of Tanberg units. And, John, I think we're getting a little bit of feedback from you. A whole bunch of uh, Tanberg units. Uh, root enabled on the device uh, with no password by default. And uh, my comment was, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, uh, John, you disappeared now. You were my only savior. Yeah, I'm just trying to kill the echo. Yeah, I, but, you know, it, it just kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the embedded device stuff earlier, and then this particular issue. Um, you, you know what, I'm like, Keep saying, drink up. We've got job security for a long time, guys. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, yeah. huh? All right, so All right. so moving along, uh, John, hacking no. high school, and and no, not not like that. We're talking about, and I think you may have actually talked about this. A, the the competition to uh, pull in high school students for. Um, doing hacking competitions for high school students. Um, sort of along yeah. the lines of Net Wars, but a little bit younger. Yeah, and I actually got the opportunity to meet... I can't remember, sorry, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but um, the kid that won the first two of these, and just an incredibly smart dude. The first time this hacking competition went out, um, they had a whole bunch of you know older pen testers I think some people from Attack Research showed up and some people from Europe. And, you know, it's designed for high schools. And professional pen testers got in the game. And you can attack other players in the game and kick them off the servers. Oh, and all nice. of a sudden, this kid comes and just freaking just throttles everybody. I think he found a zero day in the score bot. Oh. and just kicked everyone's butt. And it was just an amazing thing. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, computer geeks at, at the high school level, at least me, we probably really didn't have a good creative outlet for some of our angst. Masturbation. So, well, what? That's for our sexual frustration, but for our oh, angst, oh. on the other hand. Um, so you go and attack people Use that probably don't really need it. So, you know, for, for computer geeks in high school, this is probably a really good creative legal outlet for some stuff. Um, for some of those angst and and well, good opportunity for us to develop some of those those up and comers and really smart folks in high school. <laughs> it's, it's Fabio on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal: Paul got up to go pee during the middle of my stories, and he left his computer unlocked. And wait, so did room. we talk about Cisco Root already? Yeah, we did. 
Uh, you, want, you got anything more about that? Uh, root with no password. That's bad. Yeah. Okay, next story. <laughs> uh, we talked about it. hacking high school. We're working on that now. I got you. Yeah. I you to join us. You know, there's a, there's a story <laughs> that didn't quite make it on the, um, on the show, but one of the questions I wanted to bring up is, was there any more information about the world's number one hacker's case getting thrown out of court? I don't know. It got thrown out of I court. Know there was you guys were talking about his email servers or something like being compromised before we got started, whenever he first got in. Yeah. Okay. We don't want to give that dude any more press than he's already got. I hear you there. I second that. All right. So my last story, titled One. Sorry, because I complete moron. Um, it's a, a post from the SANS Computer Forensics blog. And quite honestly, we don't do enough forensics on the show, and I thought this was interesting, um, given that it's a, a Mac OS forensics how-to, simple RAM acquisition and analysis with Mac memory reader. Now, you talk about forensics, and I think something like this, we talk pen test. So if you can compromise uh, a Mac OS, uh, OS ten machine, and we can dump memory while the machine is running, and we have these uh, privileges to do so, why not do that, dump the memory while it's running, and then perform some analysis after the fact to grab passwords from the memory of that system? As a pen tester, to me, that's valuable. And quite honestly, it seems seems pretty easy easy to do as long as we've got um, either sudo or root access to the machine. Right? Right. Right? So yep. step-by-step huh? stuff. We, we, I we, get the feeling everyone's really tired from schmoo. Dude, <laughs> I fell asleep what? in a chair the other night in the living room at about 9.30. It's typical for this you. This whole show, it, the guys that came on um, and did their uh, did their tech segments and stuff, like Brad and Andrew, they were awesome. They were peppy. And I just kind of felt we're just kind of like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have some stories and... Yeah, we kind of like got some stories and stuff. You sound like some of the other podcasts out there. Well, you know, after the show, John, we're actually going to listen to the last couple of minutes of episode 228. Yes. And we're all going to fall off our chairs oh, laughing again, and that's going to re- revitalize. So if you're listening to the live stream, so you get to hear our running commentary. This is the special for all the live stream listeners right now. After the show, we're going to end very sh- shortly here. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to play the last like three minutes from episode 228, and it'll be like like you know the uh audio commentary in the DVDs where like the directors talk when the movie's playing that's nice. what it's going to be like for the last like 5 minutes but there's just going to be one commentary how trash is john right now <laughs> i'm not saying <laughs> this it's, is funny <laughs> not saying it's going to be good commentary i'm saying it's going to be commentary boy john is okay. drunk <laughs> so well, we for the, the episode story, 228 director's so cut special listen to after the show and i say down that we right. record it Yes. Stop All right. Yeah. Well, I think we're yeah, going to stop recording for a while. Stories. Let's close this up and get to it then. Okay. Well, with that, we'll take a short break. Come back and wrap up the freaking show. Yeah, we missed some announcements.
we missed some announcements. Yeah. Now, first off, register for Blue Teams. Don't call it a comeback. Presentation of the Core Security Technologies on Tuesday, February 15th, 2011 at 2 p.m. Eastern. Because defense this, is the new this sexy. This webcast is going to be awesome. Yes. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward Paul to it. I still need to figure out what the hell we're going to write about. Yeah. It's all right. But you're good. And uh, don't forget, uh, getting involved with the Paul.com community, you got to take this. Paul.com.blip.tv. You can see all of the Paul.com episodes pretty much the next day. We've been trying to get it out on Friday. We're going to get better at that. And it helps uh, when your internet doesn't suck. When my internet does not suck. Yep. Yes. And we actually record to mm-hmm. Ustream. We take those videos and we put them out on blip.tv. So you can watch Paul.com on Fridays. Um, then the audio ensues. Then we're going to put Paul.com TV out on iTunes. Uh-huh. We're going to have that out there. We have a YouTube channel for segments that are less than 15 minutes. We're going to put that stuff out there. Paul.com Insider, where we archive all our webcast content. Paul.com mailing list. Mad props to the Paul.com mailing mailing list. Much love. IRC channel, pound sign, Paul.com. On irc.freenode.net. Larry, take us out. Oh, oh. Core Impact. Discount code. Impact. BSG. Over. And...